Well, honestly, I, I haven't taken the time to move through that whole game to see if there's any sort of internal logic. I mean, box of staples seems pretty obvious, but uh, sometimes there's, there's more than meets the eye or more than you would initially assume. So, uh, and that's true in life as well, right? Life, uh, life requires wisdom uh, be, because sometimes doing the right thing, uh, sometimes doing the right thing is very obvious, right? There, there's just clear principles from God's word that he tells us, okay, this is inbounds and this is out of bounds. And don't do that. And, and often, with those kinds of choices that confront us, it's not a matter of discovering what's right in this situation. It, it's, it's about desiring what's right in this situation. And that's what I was praying out of at the end of our worship time there, that as we hear, because we, we interact, setting after setting, we, we interact with truth from God's word and expectations and encouragement to pursue this and avoid that. And, and, and after a while, right, th th those just become a bunch of external ideas. Unless it exists on the inside of you, unless there's, there's something from the Lord that creates in us a desire to, to, to want what he's like because we've been won by him. Uh, but there are situations in life where the right thing to do is not immediately obvious. Right? And, and, and we're trained uh, by our devices and by the culture around us and by the, the way that information comes to us to, to just instantly be able to know something, to instantly be able to, to form an opinion. Right? If there's the, the latest news item that comes your way, it comes streaming in on your, on your phone, and, and, and there's supposed to already be a reaction about some sort of complicated global event. Uh, you're supposed to press the like button on that or denounce them and get all angry and responsible. Well, guys, so much of life is, is not that easy. It comes to us and, and it's complex and it's complicated and it's challenging to sort through and, and it requires a certain virtue that most of us don't possess in great measure, which is patience. Stop and think and get help, and get help from outside perspective, and, and that's what we've been seeking to do in this Life Hack series, studying through Proverbs, just, just picking up realities of human experience. Like, we, we picked up emotions last week, and we, and we ran it through uh, the, the, the Proverbs system, and we, we picked up friendship recently, we've picked up work, and, and all these things that, that touch our lives, that God has, he's ordered the universe a certain way. I've given you this, this illustration. It's like, it's like reality. It runs on a, on a certain code because reality is not chaos. It's ordered. It's planned. This is a world that, that God has made. Now, it's a fallen world, so it, it doesn't always seem to play by the rules, but, but reality is what God says it is, and, and he's embedded certain principles. He's made that code available. If you're familiar with, with software design, it's like an open source code. It's right there. You can access it. You can pull it out, and you can see. And, and, and that happens as, as we read God's word, and as we live life, we just bump up again and again. So there's a wall here in, in the reality that God has made, or there's a, there's a door that's open, 
and, and collected human experience and the people that are speaking into our lives and, and the truth of God's word, you pull that together and there is wisdom for skillful living. And, and, and we want this, right? We, we, we want to, to live well and, and live successfully and we need God's uh, definitions for that. And this applies to everything, including how we handle money. I think this is an interesting way of, of saying it in his book of Proverbs, Driven Life. Anthony Salvaggio says, the Bible teaches that God has embedded his comprehensive norms, that just means rules. What's normal? Right? We, we get served all the time what we treat as normal. And that we gather that in from the people around us. Well, well, well God has something to say about what's normal and what's not normal. And he's put it, he's put it in the universe and laws into the very fabric of creation. For example, in one sense, biology is simply the ongoing discovery of God's laws as they apply to living things, while the study of chemistry uncovers God's laws as they apply to the natural elements. Similarly, there is a set of unchanging divine laws regarding the creation and use of wealth. Right? This is the, the discipline of economics, and maybe you've had to interact a little bit with that at school. You might take a, a course on, on economics when you head to college. Uh, the Bible provides divine economic wisdom for our lives to, to manage money well and to keep it from managing us. And, and listen, you might have $5 to your name, you might have $50, you might have $500, you might have $5,000. And there's a mix of, of all those amounts in, represented in this room, even among the youth here. But no matter what, it's important that right now we, we, we seek to understand God's wisdom for this because you're going to carry this with you for, for the rest of your life because money is a reality in the world that God has made and he wants to to help us manage it well. Uh, but let's uh, talk first about how should we view wealth? All right, that, that's one of those questions I, I mentioned. Sometimes it's not immediately obvious because it's not a simple thing. But, but the Bible has a lot to say about wealth. And, and something that's important to recognize at first is that when I use that word wealth, uh, that means more than just Dollar bills, you know, it certainly means more than dollar bills in your wallet because I don't have any of those right now, right? This is empty. That doesn't mean I don't have any wealth, right? Now they're just digital numbers that by faith I hope are in, really in my bank account and, and not getting pulled out and used for some other purpose. Uh, but, but even more than, than currency, wealth touches a lot in, in life. And, and this uh, book, we've recommended it to the, to the church, Joe Rigney's book, uh, called The Things of Earth. He says, the Bible defines wealth broadly. While we normally think of wealth in terms of money, money is not really wealth. Money is a measure of wealth. The little pieces of paper in my pocket or the numbers in my bank account with the dollar sign in front of them are ways that we gauge how much wealth we have. Put me on a desert island with a mountain of greenbacks and I'm as poor as any medieval peasant. Real wealth includes all the things that money can buy. Without attempting to be exhaustive, this includes iPhones, houses, minivans, blue jeans, college education, 
Chinese food, Calvin's Institutes, computers, waiter service at Outback, and I'm not so sure about that, and the cooks and the, and the busboys, central air conditioning, uh, photos of the kids, a trip to Disney World, the internet, cat scans, and comfortable tennis shoes. In other words, it includes both goods and services. It also includes a number of things that we are even more prone to take for granted, such as roads, bridges, and other infrastructure, a functioning legal system. You guys realize there's so many people in the world that they don't have any sort of functioning legal system. People run over you, they take from you, they hurt you. You take them to court? No, that's not an option. You just move on and deal with the fact that you've been defrauded. We, we have something better than that here, and that, that's, a, that's a sign of, of wealth here. Uh, access to qualified doctors and nurses who know how to bring down the fever, the machines and processes that somehow turn oats and honey into Cheerios, I'm in, and then get boxes of it to the grocery store where I can pick it up, and, and my favorite of them all, Amazon dot com, which is just, that's a sign of God's favor right there. Uh, but listen, right, if you're in that scenario where you feel, I've got five bucks and I've spent four of them at Chick-fil-A earlier, right, that doesn't mean you don't have wealth because you have a doctor and you have a place to live, you have a, a family who cares about you, you're sitting on chairs, you're, you're sitting inside of, of air conditioning, and all of that all of that's a good thing, right? And, and, and some people, they can be a little maybe too spiritual when it comes to dealing with money and they only think about the dollars and they think about how they're going to give away all their money and not realizing, well, well you still have a, a doctor, you still have a healthcare system, you, you still have so many things around you that mean you're wealthy and that's not wrong. In fact, it's, it's God's plan, as we'll see in a moment, it's God's plan that as people live righteously in, in a society, that grows. And, and, and if you just study history, you study Europe and you study the United States and you study, okay, how did those nations become prosperous? There were certain ideas that they were run on, and a lot of them were God's ideas, and, and it, it lended to structures that... that created wealth. All right, so that's the first thing to see here. Uh, wealth, defined broadly, every good thing that God brings into our lives, wealth is a good blessing in God's created world. And, and so all things being equal, we should seek to grow our wealth. And, and those who live according to God's wisdom experience his reward in wealth. All right, Proverbs 14, verse 24, the crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. And you can also put the word poverty in there, shows up in Proverbs often, right? You live foolishly, it tends toward poverty, but somebody who lives with God's wisdom, it, it, it lends to a crown of wealth being worn on their head. Now again, that, that includes not only this life, but the life to come, where we will be forever really wealthy as children of the king. And so uh, a lot of this gets loaded up there, but, but Proverbs is dealing with life on earth here and now as well. Right? Proverbs 15, verse 6, and I hope you see, just look at your sheet there, all the references to Proverbs, and I do this series for two reasons, right? 
one, I want to teach out of these topics and, and help us. But I, I want us to see how you pick up anything in life and you, you run it through the Bible and God has something to say about that. He has a lot to say about this, right? Proverbs 15, verse 6, in the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. And in Proverbs 10, verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Now, what we need to be careful to do is to not get simplistic about this. And that's something that we've sought to do along the way in this, this series. What is a proverb? A proverb is, is not a promise. It's not an absolute statement saying this is what happens all the time and in every situation. I mean, really, you live righteous and you don't have sorrow and you become rich? As we look out in the world, is that what we see always happening? Well, no, and, and not even Proverbs uh, wants to get treated uh, like there's this you know, one-to-one -one equation of righteous equals rich and unrighteous equals poor. And, that, and that's where, you know, if, you're, if you're familiar with us taking issue here with prosperity preachers, uh, that's what they get wrong. They, they treat this like it's, it's some sort of formula and, and God is just getting used along the way. And if you say the right stuff and, and live according to this kind of little system here, he's going to make you rich. Uh, well, that, that's getting a lot wrong there. But one of the things that it's getting wrong is it's, it's too simple in how it approaches it. And, and the ESV Study Bible says this, the causes of poverty are complex. It can be caused by injustice and oppression. Sometimes you do the right thing and somebody comes and they steal from you. Or you live under a government that says, I'm just going to come and squash you. And that, that's part of what Proverbs mentions by sloth, right? So we're responsible here by God's punishment on wickedness. So sometimes somebody's living in poverty because they've been foolish and they're getting punished by God. Or by his mysterious providence, right? That's a, that's a big phrase that just means God has a plan. And sometimes... Mystery to us, that includes us losing everything and him still being good. All right, so, so pull that in to the big picture, but what still remains here is that Proverbs views wealth positively and as something that can wield good in our lives. It, it, it's, it's good. It's good to have a home for a family to grow up in and receive care from their parents. It's, it's good to have a place where you can be hospitable and invite others in. It's good to have money that can be resources wielded for the kingdom of God and do much in this world. But, all right, it also tells us wealth can be dangerous in a fallen world because the world around us is fallen and our own hearts are fallen. And we can let wealth control us. It can be too big in our lives. It, it, we can be overcome by greed. People can be driven to do evil things and take advantage of people and lie and be, be dishonest in how they handle their business because they're driven by a love of money. Or somebody might handle money and, and they're honest in everything that they're doing, but it has all their hope. And it's, it's viewed as their security. And they're scared if, you know, money's not going to come. And, and 
listen, I, I know you're not managing all that right now because right now your dad and your mom are freaking out about all that. <laughs> and some of that you might not be aware of. You're just wondering, okay, why can't I get the stuff I really want? Right? You know? But well, the time comes when, when all that gets placed on your shoulders and it won't be long from now. And in that moment, you will be tempted to look to your money and to feel like that's what will keep me secure. If I have money, things are good. And if I don't, I am freaking out, right? Uh, Proverbs puts money in a bigger picture. Proverbs 15, verse 6. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. He's saying if you have God, and God is first in your life, and you only have a little bit, you live in the good life. You live in a successful life as God defines it. There's one prayer in the book of Proverbs, and it's this one. It's interesting that this is the, the one prayer here. Proverbs 30, verse 7. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. All right, so the, the first one is remove from me falsehood and lying. Right, priority number one, God, make me honest. Make me a person of integrity. And then second... Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord, right? If I've got enough and and there's abundance in my life and everything is taken care of, I'm in a potentially dangerous place because I don't feel like I need God right now because I've got the latest iPhone and new shoes and people respect me because of the clothes that I wear and the car that I drive and the home that I live in and life feels good, God unnecessary, right? He's scared about that in his heart. And so he says, don't give me riches. I don't want to have to deal with that temptation. Or lest I be poor, and steal and profane the name of my God. So the solution here isn't, okay, get away from any money and go and live on, under a bridge somewhere and, and eat used peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That's disgusting. Um, what happens there? Well, there's another set of temptations, right? I, I'm going to be tempted to take from somebody because I'm freaking out. I'm hungry. I don't have enough, and, and it makes me vulnerable. And maybe we won't face that kind of situation um, but listen, I, I, I know this. When, when it feels like things are tight, when it feels like there's, there's more month than paycheck or however you want to describe it, you know, that becomes a distraction. That becomes a temptation. And so I, I pray, God, God, don't let me face that distraction. Don't let me be tempted by the love of money. Provide for our needs and allow us to use what you bring into our lives wisely and for your purposes. All right, so... Big picture there with that. How should we manage our money? Uh, John Wesley said, earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, invest as much as you can, give as much as you can. Now, I'm not really sure if John Wesley said that. I didn't really take the time to track down whether or not this quote is legitimate. Uh, the thing about the internet is you can find a lot of people saying a lot of things, like C.S. Lewis, by the way, he said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And uh, 
my favorite, uh, my favorite quote that should always guide us in this, Abraham Lincoln's advice, don't believe everything you read on the internet just because there's a picture with a quote next to it. <laughs> so, I don't know. But regardless of whether or not this is fake news or a real Wesley quote, I think there's some wisdom here uh, for us, and that's going to provide us with a little outline for our time. Okay? So, first, earn diligently. Uh, God has a certain plan for money, and it's that it would come through work. This is related to a topic we already looked at in this series. Proverbs 10, verse 4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Or Proverbs 21, 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Right, so you you might do chores and get an allowance. Uh, maybe you babysit on the side, and there's a source of income through that. Maybe you do yard projects and take care of, of that for people around your neighborhood. Uh, maybe you've got a job, but there, there's some sort of of work, and that leads to an income. And Proverbs says that's how it's supposed to happen. And there are a lot of people who want the income but don't want the work. And he says, that's great, and you'll end up poor and hungry. Uh, so th there's, there's a plan. There's, there's the way the world works. And in God's reality, he's designed income to come through work and through diligent work. And so we should pay attention now, the topic we, we've looked at, to our, our work ethic and, and, and it's a good thing. We should seek to earn uh, as much as we can for our work within everything else that God has, has called us to do. And, and, and there's a way that this comes to us, right? There's, there's this little by little principle. Proverbs 13, 11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. All right, this is a real quote. I know he actually said this, uh, money guru Dave Ramsey says, the best way to get rich quick is to get rich slow. And that's right here in Proverbs, right? The one who gathers little by little, it adds up over time. And he says, if you, if you, if you get a bunch of money hastily, Maybe you're cutting corners. Maybe you're dishonest in how you got it. Maybe it's just a bunch of money got dumped into your life. People, that, that happens to them, it disappears so fast. If you ever just watch, you know, we, we play, some of you sat at the alpha table and we play the video about the people who've won the lottery and all of a sudden all this money gets dumped into their life and it doesn't fix them on the inside. It doesn't bring happiness. But also, they've ended up divorced. Uh, they've burned through all their money. Some of them have had to file for bankruptcy because there's no appreciation of the value of this and, and what am I supposed to do with it because I didn't work for it. And listen, I, I spend other people's money much more easily than I spend the money I work for. Um, and, and that's just how this principle works. But uh, on, on the other side of that, um, what he's saying here is, is consistently over time, if you give yourself toward work, and, and we'll talk about saving in a moment, uh, you build up wealth, and God approves. And God says, that's wise. All right, uh, second is to spend wisely. Um, how many of you have a budget? How many of the youth have a budget for the money that touches your life? Nathan's got one. Maybe you don't have it written down. Maybe you have like it in your mind where you feel like, okay, uh, if I get $50, it's going to go here 
uh, I'm going to give on it, I'm going to save this much, I'm going to spend this and this, right? So uh, the, the number of spending needs that are in your life, they're, they're limited. There's a lot of spending wants there. Um, but but if, right now, in these years, if you just learn how, uh, something that uh, Ramsey says is, is, a, is a budget is telling your money where to go rather than wondering where it went, right? Um, and, and listen, you, you're going to need this um, because money comes to us and needs and opportunities come to us faster than money comes to us. And so um, we want to be intentional in, in being aware of, okay, what am I going to have to spend this money for? Some of you pay for your car insurance if you're driving, Right? Maybe you pay for that monthly. Maybe you, maybe you pay for that every six months. You can't spend that money on, on Chick-fil-A meals every uh, lunch period, right? Uh, because that six months will come around and your parents will come to you saying, all right, it's time to, to pay up here. And that's gone. And you're going to wonder, Wait, where did that go? Because it just goes, right? It, 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 just, it just goes at anything and, and everything. And so uh, there's this, this practice of, of spending wisely means being intentional about uh, where we want to spend, uh, living within our means, which means when, when, when we earn something and we have income, God does that. He's provided that. He's provided what you get for your paycheck. He's not provided more than your paycheck, right? And so if you're spending more than you're making, what you're doing is you're, you're, it's like you're telling God, this isn't enough. I, I deserve to have more come into my life because my reality is this big. And so part of spending wisely is to, is to uh, live within our means, to exercise self-control, uh, to learn how to curb our appetites, right? And, and, and if you can just install that in how you touch money. Because right now, it's easy for you to touch money and what you want to get, I'm going to spend it on that. Well, eventually you can't do that. And so learn, learn to put, install some sort of check of just because I want it doesn't mean I need to buy it. doesn't mean I deserve to buy it, and you'll, you'll save yourself headaches and marital conflicts in the future. Uh, all right, what about debt? Um, you know, the average American household that carries credit card debt has about $16,000 in, in credit card debt. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I've, I've, I'll share a little bit of my own experience with, with money in, in a moment, and some of that was good, and some, some of that was problematic. One of the things I did is when I turned 18... I signed up for a credit card. And I thought that, hey, that's cool. I'm getting all these points. Uh, most of my points went to Amazon.com and uh, toward buying books and other stuff like that. But um, uh, so I, I'd, I'd use the credit card. I'd pay it off every month. But what that did is that created an extra layer there, an extra cushion of uh, it's not so much what's in my bank account that determines what I can buy. It's what's on my credit limit that determines what I can buy. Uh, so I, I'd counsel against that because it didn't take long for there to be a few thousand dollars on that balance for, for me. And, uh, you know, as I, we got married and needs got expanded and we eventually decided for us we weren't going to use credit cards and, and pay off that balance and, and just actually buy stuff that we had money for instead. Uh, here's uh, how Proverbs 22 verse 7 puts it. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Now, we need to be careful with this. The Bible does not tell you 
that you cannot go into debt. Right? The Bible does not make debt a morally prohibited thing. But it does want you to be informed by reality here. Right? This, this, is, this is a proverb. It's not a command any more than it's a command for rich people to rule over poor people. You think that's what that's saying there? Hey, all you rich people, go out there, declare yourselves king, and take advantage of anybody who's got no power. No, it's saying that rich people tend to do that. And you know what else is true? Uh, the people that you owe stuff to, you tend to be a slave master to them. And it feels like that. When, when, you, when you develop debt, it feels like I'm under somebody else's control here. And it's, it's limiting the ability for your money to be used for the priorities that God uh, wants to use it for. So I just would install that as a bit of wisdom. Uh, avoid debt as much as you can, and I wouldn't recommend... Uh, getting a credit card in your teenage years, all right? Uh, similar approach to student loans and just being wise in, in how much you add on that. Sometimes people rack up big student loans just because they wanted to have a cool travel experience for college, and they could have gone to college in state and had this price tag of tuition, but there were other ambitions inside of them. And I'm not trying to take issue with everything that you know leads somebody to make that decision. I'm just saying uh, there are a lot of you know, this is like the, the typical millennial scenario is, is somebody goes off to college, racks up thousands of dollars in student debt, comes home, lives with their parents, and works at Starbucks and, and works for like five to ten years to pay off their loans and doesn't use their degree, right? So don't let that happen to you. I'll just toss that out there. All right, um, second point here. Uh, save and, or third, third point, save and invest early. Uh, saving... Saving isn't something that is an end in itself, right? The, the goal is, I know we saying here I raised my Ebenezer earlier. The goal is not to become Ebenezer Scrooge. And he's just got a bunch of money sitting there collecting dust just because he loves gold coins and never gets used. That's not the point of saving. Uh, saving is about anticipating there's, there's a better use for this money than how I could use it right now. Maybe there are needs coming up. Right in six months, I got to pay for my car insurance, or I've I, I just know that you know if you have a car, eventually things break and it's expensive to replace stuff. Now you, you're not planning for it to break, you're not planning for all of a sudden the ignition to to have a problem or or all this maintenance that you need to do, but it's coming your way, and you can bet on it that it's coming your way. But you've already spent the money that you're going to need to maintain that later on, unless you have a budget that tells you, I'm going to need money to fix my car when it breaks, and so I'm going to begin to save for it. So save for future needs, save for ne future opportunities. Uh, you know, maybe there's a trip you want to go on. Maybe you want to go on a senior trip and you want to save up for it. Maybe you want to buy a car one day. All right, so, so saving is there in, in service of Something in the future that I need to have the wisdom to anticipate and to plan for, right? Um, and and I encourage you to save early. Um, as I began to, to work um, in my teenage years, I just began to save a good bit of it, despite my book addiction and other problems uh, and ice cream addiction. I saved a lot of money still, uh, and that that allowed me, you know, I, my my wedding cost 
uh, we, we paid for, uh, most of my wedding I paid for, paid for my honeymoon, paid for us to start a life. So, and that was in senior year of college, um, 21, we got married, but we had, we had, we had saved, you know, through working over time, uh, money to, to enter into our, our, our 20s in there. Um, I'd recommend eventually you, you save, uh, set up an emergency fund for all the stuff that comes our way in life. All right, pull out the, your little uh, homework sheet there. It's not really homework. And I did it quickly this afternoon, so I might not have done the math correctly. But uh, it's just to make a point um, of the wisdom of learning how to save and learning how to invest in your future now. All right, we're, we're an instant gratification culture, which means if we want something, we go out and get it right now. And you know, the fact that we can go to a store or go through a fast food line, uh, that was radical enough. Now I just pull open an app and I buy my groceries from Walmart and somebody else shops for me and then I drive up there and they load it in my car, right? <laughs> so if I, if I want something, it's, it's there right away. Uh, you realize that some of the money that you have right now and soon enough in your life you're going to need when you're 65 and when you're 70 and when you're old and you're too old to work. Uh, there's this thing called retirement that people actually used to think about. And now that doesn't happen as much because we've got a big lifestyle and a lot of needs and a lot of things that demand attention from us right now. All right, there's this, there's this concept called compound interest. All right, so if you if you took a piece of paper, if we, let's say we, we had a piece of paper that was like the size of this whole room, but it's just the normal thickness of a piece of paper, and we folded it in half, and we took that and we folded it over on itself again. Right, so we've doubled it and we've, we've doubled it again there. And we fold it like that, we fold it over on itself. If we, were, if we were big enough and we were strong enough, and we did that 50 times, right, how high do you think this piece of paper would would go. How, how deep would it be? At least four. Four units. Four units. Right. Uh, Ten feet. Two. You guys are pathetic. Well, uh, actually, you're, you're shooting higher than I than I than I thought you were, Grace. That that's what I I, I mean. You're you're closer to being right than I wanted you to be. Right? <laughs> this is this illustration's fun because you're supposed to say like five feet, and then I'm supposed to say, you know, you idiot. This is how big it is. Um, my wife is notorious for this. Right? If 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 it's like, guess how many birds we saw today? She'd be like seven billion. No, fifty. You know, so it just like ruins the whole element of guessing. But anyway, uh, it would be more than 70 million miles high, a sheet of paper. And uh, Albert Einstein either said this or it's, a, it's, a, it's more fake news, who knows. But he said, compound interest is the greatest mathematical discovery of all time. And, and the sheet here illustrates um, how that can work, okay? So if at age 20, you took $2,000 and you invested it, and every year, you, you invested $2,000. And that's all you ever did, $2,000 every year. And, and you, you invested it in some funds that had a 10% return. Uh, if you look all the way down at the bottom, at age 64, you will have put in $90,000. That's a lot of money that you would have put in. But you would have $1.4 million 
just all because of the interest. You're earning the interest on the interest on the interest. All right, if you flip it over here, let's say instead of age 20, you wait until age 38 and do the same thing. You get to age 64 and you have $242,000. So you see how time is in your favor here. And so the earlier you know, you can, you can take life and make it like this and pretend like that money over there isn't really your money and you put it away for later, the better it'll be in the long run. Now, now again, is that, is that godly to care about and think about? No. Absolutely it is. Because, because, listen, don't you want to eat when you're really old? <laughs> don't. But, but more than that, don't you want to be able to care for your family and still give toward the kingdom of God? And, uh, and then look at this, all right, Proverbs 13. I don't know if you knew this was in the Bible. Proverbs 13, verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now, again, the point isn't if you don't do that, you're a bad man, right? Life happens. But it's, it's holding up. It's saying, if you can gather wealth over time and that becomes a blessing to your children and to your grandchildren, you've lived a wise life. All right, you can stick that back under your sheet and we'll look at one final thought for us, which is, you know, this is first in priority. It's last what we're talking about here, but that doesn't make it uh, less of a priority. And this is to give generously. Uh, Proverbs 3 verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Our money belongs to God and what we do with our money makes a statement about God, about how valuable he is. All the things we talked about make a statement about God. But especially when we give toward the kingdom of God, we are saying, God, you are more valuable, you are more significant to me than what I could do with this. And so I, I return it to your hands. And a couple Sundays ago, we talked about this, this principle of the, of the tithe that is throughout the Bible, this, this number of 10%, because it's, it's significant. It doesn't take everything from us. It takes a small proportion of, of, our, of our income, but it's still, you could do a lot with 10% of what you make. All right, so let's do math more. You want you ready for this? $50... If, you, if $50 comes into your world and you're tithing, how much should you give back to the Lord? $5. $5. Yeah, <laughs> overshoot it for me, Grace, thanks. Um, all right, so $500, how much should you tithe? $50. You tracking with me so far? It's amazing how many people don't know how to do this math. $5,000, how much should you tithe? Five hundred. All right, you you got it, and 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 the point is, we we are recognizing God's ownership of everything that He has graciously provided us with, and so we are using it in the service of His interest and His kingdom, and to honor Him. The the two greatest commandments in the Bible. What are the two greatest commandments? That's the two. First of the Ten Commandments, but Nicholas got it right here, right? Love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And giving touches both of these things. Giving, our tithe, is a way of worshiping God. And Proverbs also calls us to give in a way that loves our neighbor. And there's great reward that's promised for this. Proverbs eleven twenty four: one gives, gives freely, yet grows all the richer, 
Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. And then Proverbs 19, verse 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. In, in Proverbs, there's often a call to care for the poor, to care for people that have needs, to do that through the church and through ministries. And then there might be some people that the Lord just lays on your heart, I'm just going to give them something. They're in need or they're discouraged or there's a way that I can... Early on in my teenage years, I uh, started to uh, sponsor a child, $30 a month, which then was, was big, you know, it was a big amount. It wasn't, even, even then, it wasn't a crazy amount, but it was significant, $30 a month. But, but there was somebody living in poverty in another part of the world that I wanted to send this, this money their way and, and allow them to have basic necessities of food and clothing and, and education. And, uh, and what, what, notice this language here. Whoever's generous to the poor lends to the Lord. All right? And, and that sounds ridiculous because we, God doesn't owe us anything and he already owns everything. And so the money that's touching our hands, even though it's in our hands, doesn't ultimately belong to us. But what Proverbs is saying here is take that and give it away and God is saying, all right, now I'm in your debt and I'm going to be given back to you soon enough. I'm going I'm, to, I'll owe you one. That's what God's saying there, which is just an amazing uh, care and accommodation to us. But he, he's collecting. Every, every time you give, every time you sacrifice, every time you live in service to others, God is collecting all that together, and he's building up a balance that he's just waiting, either in this life or in the, in the life to come, especially to dump on your life in abundance and joy for all eternity, and that is a promise, right? And we give, and we take our grip off of our money and prevent it from controlling our hearts because, as Paul says, he who was rich became poor for us that we might know his riches. Do you know Jesus actually came from a poor family? When um, Mary and Joseph want to bring an offering they offer these little doves. It, those are the animals you brought if you didn't have a lot of money. And Jesus, in, in, in the human level, lived in poverty and had no place to lay his head. But at the divine level, the taking on our humanity is poverty enough. And he set aside his renown and his glory and the riches that were at his beck and call and he emptied it all. And he didn't just tithe, he gave 100%. And now he's purchased us. And he's brought us in to relationship with him and into his, the wealth of his kingdom and into the family of the king for all eternity. And so, just go back to what I said at the beginning. If that affects me, if the mercy of Christ showing that kind of radical care to a foolish person like me, if I know that, if I've been transformed by that, that'll make me wise. That'll lead me happily into the wisdom of God, into what I do with entertainment, into what I do with friendship, into what I do with my schoolwork, and, and into what I do with my money. All right, let's pray. God, we do thank you for your patience and your care for us and the distance that you came to give everything for us. And 
If he's given us his son, will he not with him graciously give us all things? Or Jesus is enough, and yet we also get included with that everything. The world is ours because we are Christ's, and Christ is God's, as Paul says. God, would that grip our hearts? Would that lead us to be wise? Would that lead us to be intentional with the wealth you have graciously provided? And would that lead us to give with great generosity and joy because we've been won by you? We ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you.